if you have been with us, we just finished up a, a series in the Beatitudes last week. And so this morning, I'm going to start a two-part message. It's not really a series, just uh, two weeks, two, part, it's two, two halves of one message, really, uh, on worship. And when, when we gather together, uh, we, we, you know, we come here on Sunday or maybe in, in midweek in some other setting, and we, we sing songs. And we sing songs to the Lord rather than just about the Lord, and we make that distinction. It's an important distinction for us. Uh, we call that worship, and, and that is worship. That is worship, but it's not all of worship. That's one dimension of worship. It's one sort of a dynamic, one aspect of worship. Worship is really, as disciples, we, we looked at in the Beatitudes what it means and what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ. And as disciples, worship is really the totality of our lives. Worship is how we work our jobs. It's how we raise our kids. It's how we love our spouses. It's how we treat our neighbors. It's all, it's all of that. It's everything. And, and next week, I'm going to talk about that. I want to talk about next week's title will be A Lifestyle of Worship. But this morning, I, I do want to focus specifically on what happens when, when we gather together, when we come together as the body of Christ uh, for corporate worship, uh, specifically, music and, and singing is an important part of our worship. Specifically, when we sing songs to the Lord, um, what happens? What, what, what's, what's taking place here? And what I want to address today, this is the, uh, the title of this morning's message, is why we worship. I want to talk about what motivates us. What is it that wants, makes us want to do that? Why is it so important that we gather together as the body and sing these songs to the Lord? That, that photo, by the way, I, I took that picture uh, back in, I don't know when, to tell you the truth. It's late 70s, early 80s, 79, 80, 81, right in there somewhere. That's Anaheim Vineyard, the church Don and I grew up in, uh, which was kind of the, uh, the founding father, mother, whatever, of the vineyard movement. And the vineyard was really, we are a, a, a movement of, of churches, a, a people. We were, we were born in worship. We really were. Uh, that's, I couldn't, I didn't have a wide angle lens. And so I'm in the middle of the gymnasium. That's a high school gymnasium that goes back further this way. But as you can see, the bleachers on both sides and the basketball court are full. There's about 2,000 or so people gathered together worshiping there. Um, it's a fun picture if you look at it closely because Walt Reed, the little guy there on the soundboard, and, and it, it reminds me of us a little bit. We just got a table back here, but he did not have a digital board. He had like a little, I don't know, a six-channel mixing board or something. You know, it's pretty, pretty archaic. But um, two or three years, four years maybe, before that picture was taken, there was a small group of uh, self-declared, self-described, uh, sort of burnt-out, pharisaical Christians who were, uh, to be quite honest, uh, they were tired and they were grumpy. And, and they knew somehow that this was not what God had called them to, uh, to be tired, grumpy people. Uh, they, they, some, somehow, we're missing something. And so they did the only thing they knew to do, really. And that is they gathered together in, in their brokenness uh, and, in, and in their burnt-outedness, and they just worshiped God. They just began to sing simple songs to the Lord. And to be quite honest, and I was there during that time, uh, 
they didn't even really pray a whole lot in the beginning because I don't think anybody even knew what to pray for. They were, they were that, that burned out. You know what I mean? So all they did was sing these songs. Just sing these little songs to, to the Lord. And an amazing thing happened. And that is Psalm 22 indicates that God inhabits the praise of his people. He actually comes and fills that space where they come together. And that started to happen. And so this little broken down group uh, began to be transformed. They really did. Their grumpiness literally, physically, over time, turned to joy. They, they went from a place of being grumpy to a, a place of being happy. They went from a place of being broken to a place of being healed. They went from a, a place of being really fragmented and worn out to a place of being whole and full just in the midst of praising and worshiping God. And so today I want to talk about why we worship. Why, why do we put so much emphasis on that in the Vineyard Movement? So uh, pray with me if you would. Father, we love you, and I, I just pray you would uh, help me to honor you this morning and to, uh, to honor your word, to speak truth and life, and that you would impart a fresh vision and passion uh, for worship in our hearts this morning. In your name, amen. Uh, I have been, like I said, been thinking about this for a while. My process is, as I'm thinking, I'm usually one series ahead in my teaching from where we are on Sundays, from where I'm thinking about. And so when I start thinking about that, I just start doing what I call sort of my background research. And I'll go back and read things I've read before. And, you know, sometimes something you've read before will spark you to read something that you haven't read. And so I'm just reading and I'm listening to sermons and listening to different people. And I'm just gathering, gathering information, gathering resource. And just, so I've been doing that for a couple months. And, and a couple weeks ago, uh, I, I thought, oh, you know, why we worship? So I just Googled why we worship. Just put that phrase, why we worship. And uh, some stuff popped up, and I was scrolling down, scrolling down, and I saw a video by a, uh, a uh, well-known worship leader today, a person that's very visible, and, it, and the title of the video on YouTube was Why We Worship. Hmm. Eh. Well, uh, if you follow our little PVC Instagram site, this week I've been putting quotes up all week. Every day a different quote on worship. And so I thought I could steal a quote. Um, and so I, I watched the video. I clicked on it. And, 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 and so this worship leader says, you know, I, I get asked, you know, why do we worship? Why do we worship? And my response is, well, why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? And on one level, I, I kind of, I, I agree, sure, okay, I'm good with that. Uh, uh, I can't argue with that. It's not wrong. But on another level, I'm kind of saying to myself, look, if worship is the thing, the very thing we were created to do, if, 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 if worship is the, 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 the pinnacle of Christian experience, if that's the highest value, if worship is is the most important, the most powerful, the most valuable, the most meaningful thing I can do with my life, doesn't it deserve a little more than that? And so I want to use uh, that just kind of in introduction this morning to, to um, make a point, use that, that as an illustration to make a point of something I see that happens in the church from time to time and, and I guess my, my real purpose in that is for you guys as, our, as this church to know kind of where I'm coming from, all right? So, so here's what I see. 
Uh, there's sort of sometimes two extremes in the church. There's a lot of extremes in the church, okay, but two uh, that we'll talk about right now. One is sort of a, a very highly intellectual, theological sort of place where we're studying everything to the nth degree. And, and let me tell you, if you guys, anybody that knows me knows, I, I love to study. I love the Word. I love the Bible. Uh, I study everything to the nth degree. But what I see in there sometimes is the, the, the value in that is knowing the Word. That's what the goal is. The end game is to know the Word. And my observation is that sometimes when the value is to know the Word, that we, we, we sometimes overlook knowing God. And, and, and God is a person. He's a personality. He's real. He's emotional. <coughs> He's alive. And we experience God. That's a, one of the, the top vineyard values, experiencing God. We want to interact with God. We want to connect with Him, communicate with Him. Christianity, we say, is not a spectator sport. It's, it's hands-on. It's, it's, it's real. It's life. And so sometimes that extreme is so focused on the intellectual that it lacks a little bit of life, okay? On the other extreme, and this is where I think the why wouldn't we response comes from, is, is this extreme sometimes. On the other extreme is a, a highly experiential focus, and it's a very, it's based in emotion, it's very emotional, and it's really almost going from experience to experience, and can at times be a little anti-intellectual. Almost like if you have theology and if you study that you're, you're squelching the spirit a little bit, I, I think it, it lacks uh, a, a little bit of, of of theological basis. And, and again, the value here, the value here is knowing the Word. The value here really is experience. And you go from experience to experience. And here's, again, my observation is that what that ends up looking like sometimes is a guy who's been on a two-day bender doing tequila shots and he forgot where he left his car. Um, woo! Cobble wobble. You know, that was a lot of fun. Uh, but you got to go home after the weekend. You, you, um, you know, you got to work tomorrow, buddy. Uh, that's life. Um, there's got to be an anchor. There's got to be an anchor to that experience. And so somewhere in between, I believe there's a place where there's an anchor. And so I, for one, and I'm going to say this today just on record, I, for one, believe that a solid theological framework provides for more freedom in the Spirit, not less. Um, I disagree with the notion that Knowing the Word of God and studying the Word of God and being well-founded in the Word of God will somehow limit the freedom of the Spirit. I think it actually opens the door for more freedom of the Spirit. So why do we worship? Corporate worship is a very, very unique dynamic. It really is. Um, there are some similarities in culture. I, I, I love music. Uh, I'm not a musician. I have zero below zero. If there's a negative scale, I'm on the negative scale of musical ability. Um, singing, I, I can't play anything. Uh, singing, I try, I, I have made it, I've learned over the years. I, I need to sit as far away from the person leading worship as possible because I will very likely throw them off too. 
Um, that's how bad I am. But I love music. I listen to music all the time. I love going to concerts. And in some ways, there are some similarities between what we do in worship and a concert. But this is not a concert. It's very, very different than that. And in culture, too, we have, if you, you know, campfires, sing-alongs, things, <coughs> things like that. But this is not a sing-along. There is music being played up front, but it's not a concert. We do sing, but it's not a sing-along. It's something very, very different and much deeper than that. What we're doing when we worship is this. We're ascribing worth to God. We're giving worth <coughs> and value to God. I'm sorry, you guys. <coughs> I have been under attack today, um, just as far as being ready to teach. Um, we sang this morning, I think one of the songs we sang today uh, said, did we, I don't know if we did this one already or if it's yet to come, uh, you are holy, you are you, you, um, you, you alone are holy, only you are worthy. That's coming. Okay, we will sing that song today. I knew it was in the list. Um, but what we're doing there is in that, in that place, we're, we're, we're describing to God the, the value, the supremacy, the worth he has to us. We're saying to God, you're holy, you're worthy, you're valuable, that you mean this to me. We're giving that to him. Um, so we're... We're not just singing songs. We really are ascribing worth to God. Let me, let me talk about, let me give you a couple of um, faulty reasons why we sometimes worship, okay? These are, the, these are not reasons why we worship. The first one um, is, I'll use a, uh, there's a, an old Monty Python movie. And it has a great little scene in it. And if I was Kevin, I would show the clip. But I, I, I would, but I have zero confidence that it will work. So instead, I'm just going to show you the dialogue of the clip uh, because I feel more confident that I can make that happen. But here's the scene. Let me set the scene for you. Uh, it's an old church building, a, a very formal, traditional church. Look, it's England. I mean, everybody has an accent. It's Monty Python. But if you've ever been... I, we don't have these churches around here. Maybe in Portland, a few, East Coast, some, but in England, very, very old church buildings, and they have the pew boxes, you know, where each family has their own box and their names on it, and very formal. So if you can kind of picture that sort of a setting, and there's a, a pastor who's sort of leading the service, and they begin with a sort of a responsive, uh, inter, you know, reading, responsive interaction, and then they, and then they sing. And this is what it says. The pastor says, let us praise God, O Lord. And the congregation says, O Lord. And, and he says, oh, you are so big. Oh, you are so big. So absolutely huge. So absolutely huge. Gosh, we are really impressed down here, I can tell you. Gosh, we're all really impressed down here, I can tell you. Forgive us, O Lord, for our dreadful toting and barefaced flattery. But you're so strong and, well, just so super fantastic. Amen. Amen. And then they sing, and they say, Oh, Lord, please don't burn us. Don't grill or toast your flock. Don't put us on the barbecue or simmer us in stock. Don't braise or bake or boil us or stir-fry us in a wok. Please don't lightly poach us or baste us with hot fat. Don't fricassee or roast us or boil us in a vat. And please don't stick thy servants, Lord, in a rotissimat. <clears throat> I don't know what a rotissimat is. But you get the point, and the idea there really is this, that fear is the motivation for worship. 
And sometimes I think that creeps into the church a little bit today. There's this idea that God is sort of this angry guy in the sky, and he's looking for any potential reason to send me to hell, and I don't want that to happen, so I better do what he wants, and I better obey him and go to church and be good, and I'll worship so that I don't get roasted and put in a rotisimat. And um, I just think if we're going to worship in spirit and truth, that's probably not a good motivation. So we don't worship out of fear. And then I think the flip side of that, another very similar sort of idea, it's, and maybe more common today, is to garner favor. We're, we're, we're worshiping so that we're kind of, we want to butter God up a little bit. You know what I mean? And we, want, we want to throw him some compliments so that he'll do what we want, right? If, I, if I'm nice to you and I say nice things, maybe you'll give me some blessings in my life. Um, you know, and, and that's really very similar to what we talked about in the Beatitudes, that idea of reward, where if, if I'm good and I behave, and if I, if I say, oh, Lord, you're so beautiful, I love you, I love you, then maybe you'll, you'll bless me, you'll bless me. And so uh, fear or favor, I think, are not really the reasons we worship God. So why do we worship? Uh, one verse today, or one, one and a half verses, how's that? Psalm 27, David is writing, and he says, one thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. At His temple I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Um, David asks one thing. I just want one thing. I want to I dwell in the house of the Lord. And why do I want to do that? What, what am I going to do? When I come into the house of the Lord, I'm going to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Um, he talks about being in the temple. And in the Old Testament, of course, the temple was the place of God's presence. But we know now in the, under the new covenant, we're no longer confined to a, a location. The temple is actually wherever we are. So this could be here on Sunday, but it could be at home. It could be in a backyard, in your car. Uh, it could be in a warehouse. It doesn't matter where, but the why is the same. The why is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Why do we worship? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. The beauty of God is not just a physical thing. I think it is. And I think we're, I'm going to talk a little bit about using our imagination this morning. But, but it's a physical thing, but it's more than that. It's, it's an emotional thing. There's an emotional dimension. It's, it's an intellectual thing. It certainly involves our minds. Uh, it's a visual thing. We see it. Uh, it's, a real, it's a physical thing. It involves our body. Um, it requires imaginations. It, it really does. You have to, that's why we, we, we encourage people to close their eyes during worship. And it's hard sometimes because if you don't know the words, you have to read the words and all that. But it's good to know, do songs repeatedly that you know because when you know them, you can cl- close your eyes and you can really just focus all of your attention. And, and, you can, and you can imagine, you can see in your mind's eye the image of God. I, I, we used to sing that song, we still do once in a while, but a lot, that Revelation song, and I, I loved it because the imagery was so powerful. You know, it's the, la- the lamb that was slain seated on the throne, and he's surrounded by rainbows of living color. And the imagery, I thought it was such a good song because the imagery was so strong, and when I would close my eyes, I could literally see that, and I could picture God, and, and, and it was just so powerful, and the beauty of God. So let me let me just say this. When, when you see something beautiful, when you see something beautiful, you, you, don't you just want to stare at it? Don't you? Isn't it true? 
When you see something so beautiful, you just, like, you know, I mean, for me, I, I think of babies. Of course, we have babies right now, and I, you know, I think our babies are cuter than other babies, but the truth is that babies are pretty cute in general. And sometimes when you see a little baby and it's so precious and so beautiful, you just want to look at it. You just want to look at it. You can't take your eyes off it. You just go, that's the most amazing thing. And so now let me ask you this. What fills your heart when you look at that baby? Anybody feel angry or disappointed or depressed? Usually your heart's filled with joy. You see something beautiful and your heart's filled with joy and what do you do? You praise it. You go, oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. That's so awesome. He says, my sacrifice of praise will be shouts of joy. I'll make music. Let me say this. The songs that we sing are the outward expression of the joy that's in our hearts that comes from gazing at the beauty of the Lord. That's why we worship. That's why we worship. It's a, it's a spontaneous and in and, and, and a, and a, and a, and a, a real place of worship, it's a spontaneous, almost uncontrollable expression of joy that comes from seeing the beauty of God. That's, that's what we're talking about. Does that make sense to you guys? C.S. Lewis uh, has a great little passage. It's a little funky when you read the whole passage. I was going to put it up, but I didn't because it's a little funky. But uh, in his book on the Psalms, Reflections on the Psalms, but, the, but he calls it appointed consummation. And what he means by that is that praise is the consummation of joy. When we have joy in our hearts, you have to speak it out. You have to praise. And that's really true, isn't it? Isn't when you have joy over something, you see something amazing, you see something beautiful, and it causes joy in your heart, you have to praise that. And that can happen anywhere in life, right? That can happen in anything in life. You see something beautiful and you praise it, right? When you see a beautiful, you know, you see creation, you see a lake or a mountain, you go, oh, that's, that's amazing, that's beautiful. You know, music, you listen to music, you go to a concert, and you, you hear musicians, and they're awesome, and they're really good, and what do you do? You Woo, that's awesome. That's great. It, sports, you know, sports, you see a slam dunk, some guy comes down and posterizes some dude with a windmill dunk. And you go, woo, you know, and, 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 and at the end of the day, you're, you're, that praise spontaneously blows out of your heart because of the joy from seeing something. You know, the difference, of course, is that, you know, only God deserves ultimate praise, ultimate uh, allegiance, ultimate loyalty. God's, you know, God, God isn't one beautiful thing among all the beautiful things. You know, nor is God really the most beautiful thing of all the beautiful things. God is the creator of all the beautiful things. He, he, he's the origin. He's the source for everything that's beautiful. And so in a sense, I think, one, you know, you kind of say that anything that we see that's beautiful, then we praise it, we're really praising God. So I think when you're at a sporting event, if somebody hits a home run or scores a touchdown, you should go, praise God. Probably not. That would be weird. But, but that's a good framework, isn't it? Isn't it an understanding that that's why James says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. It all comes from him. Everything comes from him. It, you know, if we see this correctly, that's a framework for that. Uh, it's, it's, praise is a natural consequence. It's the appointed consummation of joy in our hearts that comes from gazing at the beauty of the Lord. We were... Um, Donna and I were in Hawaii a few years ago. I've, I've shared this before, but it, it it's bears mention worth mentioning today a little bit again. Um, 
And, and we were walking on Kanapali Beach, you know, at sunset in Maui. And uh, that's not, oh, you can't even see it. That's not the sunset in, in mention, but that is a sunset at Kanapali Beach. It's a little dark. Uh, but we're walking along, okay? And so, you know, if you've ever been there at Kanapali Beach, there, it's crowded. There's lots of people out there. So there were probably, I don't know, several hundred people wandering up and down this quarter mile or half mile stretch of the beach. And <clears throat> when the sunset happened, everybody kind of stopped and just watched it for a while. You know, that, that's what you do, right? Uh, but then something happened. It was amazing. The sun finally did its last little thing and it dropped into the water, you know, and the whole beach broke out in spontaneous applause. I mean, it was like unreal. Everybody on the beach started clapping and cheering. And I'm not kidding. I got overwhelmed. I got goosebumps up and down my arms, and I actually started crying on the beach in Maui because I knew what people were applauding. They couldn't contain it. It was the spontaneous joy coming out of their hearts. And, and I, I believe, I don't know, I believe that everyone there, regardless of their religion or their background or their theological persuasion, knew exactly what they were applauding for. God just did that. God just gave us that. He just made that happen. I want you to know something. I felt the presence of God in that moment as powerfully as I've ever felt it in my whole life. I've been to a thousand conferences. I've been to a million church services. You know, I mean, I quite honestly, I have been there. Uh, you know, I was there when Lonnie Frisbee said, come Holy Spirit. I, I traveled with Wimber for 20 years. You know, I heard the lions roar. I don't know if I ever felt the presence of God more powerfully than I did in that moment. That, and, oh, gosh, man, that, that's why I'm not a revivalist. I, I just think when you're always looking for God to do something out there, you miss about 90% of what God's doing all around you all the time. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. You're gazing at the beauty of the one who loves and values you. You're gazing at the beauty of the one who loves and values everyone. You're gazing at the beauty of the one who sacrificed his life on your behalf. You're gazing at the beauty of the one who gives grace and mercy and freedom and healing and wholeness to you. The one who brought you out of darkness into light. You're you're looking at the beauty of that. That should be overwhelming in your heart. That's happening all around us. There should be joy. Worship is an expression of, of, of what happens in our hearts when we realize who God really is. Let's talk for just a minute, and I'll be done, and we can worship some more. How we worship. Um, I, I'll start with this again. Worship is only worship to the degree that we are 100% invested in the moment. Um, we've talked in, the, in, in recent months with... James, and then in the Beatitudes, we talked about being pure in heart. We talked about being double-minded versus single-minded. It's all the same idea. Um, those things are never more important than in worship. If, if we are going to worship in spirit and truth, if we are really going to ascribe worth to God, uh, then all of our attention needs to be focused on Him. Okay? Now, uh, I will be the first to say that's easier said than done. All right. Uh, pop quiz. Uh, how many things do you have you could be thinking about right now? Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, a million, a million things. 
we are easily distracted. Are we not? Anybody? Am I the only one? Um, there's, a, there's, there's a million things we could be thinking about any given moment. And, and, and some of them are important things, right? Some of them are not. Some of them we need to get rid of anyway. Those are, get those thoughts out of here. Uh, but, but others are actually important things that need thinking about. But if we're going to ascribe value and worth, ultimate value and worth and honor and praise to God, what we're doing, we're saying, I'm, I'm going to make a choice right now to put all that other stuff on hold and focus on you. That's what I'm going to do. And I want you to know something. That choice in and of itself is an, is an act of worship. Do you know that? To say, this morning when I walk in that door, for the next little while, I'm going to lay it all aside. I'm going to lay it all aside, and I'm going to focus all my attention on God. That alone, before you even get in the door, is an act of worship. Again, some things are important, but you're saying it doesn't matter how important they are. It doesn't matter. Right now, I'm going to give you my attention. Worshiping you right now is more important than all of my problems or any problem I might have. And let's you know, be honest. The nice thing about problems is they're very patient, right? Uh, they're going to be right where you left them when you come back. They're not going anywhere. Um, so, so with that in mind, right, just put them aside for half hour. I'm going to lay those things. Yeah, that's big. It's overwhelming right now. But if I can lay that aside for 30 minutes and focus my attention on God, am I not in a better place than I would be if I was sitting here worrying about that problem? Right now, I'm going to suspend everything and give my attention to you. And again, I think that's why we close our eyes. I don't want to see the room. I don't want to see the people in front of me, my friends. I like them. I like seeing them. I like seeing you. But I don't want to see you right now. In that moment, you know, I want to see the face of God. I want to see him. That's what I want to see. Um, I, I want to visualize the Lord's presence with me. Um, so it's giving our full attention to the Lord. Uh, so last thing really quickly, and if the worship team wants to uh, at least get ready to come back up, you can. Um, this is not just with our minds. It also really incorporates our bodies. What goes on in your minds and hearts affects your bodies. Did you know that? What goes on in your, your, your heart and mind affects your body. This is, a, this is amazing to me. I'm going to share something with you this morning that I think will be enlightening. Um, I'm not a doctor, in case anyone was wondering. But experts, those that know, estimate that this is amazing to me. And I'm, I'm not agreeing or disagreeing. I'm just telling you what they say. 80 to 85 percent, 80 to 85 percent of physical illness is rooted in psychosomatic places, has psychosomatic roots. It's here. Our, our bodies are so connected to our mind and our spirit. Look at, let me tell you something. Here's the deal. I, I, I'll tell you how you could actually feel physically better, and I won't charge you $100 an hour. Why do we worship? We worship, we gaze at the beauty of the Lord, we see Him, it fills our hearts with joy, and we explode in praise out of that. And if you worship, you will literally be a healthier person. If you worship God, you will literally be a healthier person. I guarantee it. Last, last, last thing. I'll just say this. 
The Bible has a very physical concept, presents a very physical concept of worship. We are told, we are instructed uh, at different places throughout the Psalms and throughout Scripture in terms of worship to stand up, lie down, kneel, raise our hands, clap our hands, shout, sing, dance. Worship is a very physical activity. So can I just say, you guys need to get up and move a little bit, okay? Um, I, look, I get it. Can I say this right now? We're pretty white. Um, some of you guys don't have a lot of rhythm. I've seen you. Nobody is more arrhythmic than me. Don't let that stop you, okay? Look, t- take a cue from punk rock, all right? I, you know, like the hip-hop guys, they're all rhythmic and they got all the moves. Punk rock has no moves. They just jump straight up and down. Just like this. You can do that, I guarantee it. You, you, you can do it and look good doing it. So, j- j- just get up and move. Get up and move a little bit, okay? Uh, don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. If you're looking at something that beautiful, let go. Let go a little bit. Let, let it explode out of you into what God's doing in your life.